So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Tonight begins our um, uh, short um, six or seven week series that will lead us right up to to sort of the holiday season, uh, Reformation Day and All Saints um, Day. But we're going to be looking through um, the uh, Leviticus chapter 23, which is the ch- chapter in Leviticus that um, gives the uh, uh, inaugurates um, the the festivals of of the nation of Israel, but more specifically God's festivals for uh, the nation of Israel. And so tonight we begin in Leviticus twenty three verses one through three, where it says, "The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them.'" These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall be work, shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you uh, specifically for the blessings and the gift of your word to us. God, as we open it up, as we go to to the Old Testament, God, probably to a book um, that that many of us spend um, uh, a relative little amount of time in, that is the book of Leviticus. Um, Father, we ask that um, you would show us... Um, Jesus Christ in these these festivals. God, over the next few weeks, um, that you would open our hearts uh, and minds to see the uh, beautiful um, predetermined order of of these festivals, the way they play out prophetically in your scriptures, the, the way that they um, point us to Jesus Christ, and God even point us to uh, the consummation of all things um, at the end of time. Father, we ask that you would use your word to shape your people, that that our hearts and minds and desires would be formed um, uh, by by the things that we see. God, we pray for um, revival in our community. God, we pray that your spirit would move in such a way in Blount County that people would recognize their great need uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, that they would recognize um, the great need that they have because of their sin and rebellion, God, that they would seek not uh, the philosophies of the world or, or um, personal experiences, uh, self-actualization and, and, and all of the um, myriad uh, things that our world turns to, to, uh, to uh, quench their, their spiritual thirst, God, that they would turn to the one and only source um, of true uh, joy um, and satisfaction, God, and salvation, and that is your son, Jesus Christ. Um, help us to be a church and a community and individuals um, who boldly um, and yet gently and lovingly uh, take the gospel to those around us. 
um, as we as we continue and have prayed already that we would live lives um, that depict the gospel, um, but God, more importantly, that we would have uh, voices um, that share the gospel with those around us. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your church. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we begin, um, and I'm going to jump in and make a couple of preferential statements. Um, uh, for one is that, man, the, the topic of the Sabbath in the Bible is kind of a big topic. Um, it's kind of hard to to summarize uh, everything that there might be to be said about that in, in one sermon tonight. Um, but that's what we're going to try to do and try to zoom in on a few big areas and kind of talk about some things. Because I think there's a specific reason that we come to this this uh this passage that tells us about the different feasts and festivals of of God for the people of Israel and yet it begins not with an annual feast but it begins with a weekly feast a weekly remembrance and that's because the sabbath is going to frame all of the others in a sense all the other festivals are going to be framed by the issues that are brought to light in uh, the, the weekly observance of the Sabbath. And so we're just going to kind of jump in and, and see what it has to say, okay? So we begin there in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts, Okay. We can say many things about that passage, but we're going to zoom in on two words, appointed feasts and holy convocations. Okay, So that very idea of the appointed feast, he makes it specific where he says, these are the feasts of the Lord. These are my appointed feasts. All right, They have been established by God. God is the one that gives them shape. God is the one that gives them meaning. God is the one that determines the rules and the boundaries of these feasts. They are not... Israel's feasts, they are God's feasts for Israel. God declares, God invites, God sets times, God sets meanings. These are not things that the Israelites are free or open to innovate on. God has given the description of what they should be like. Now, one of the key things to remember is that feasts or sacrificial feasts, which a lot of these play that role, there would be a sacrifice associated with them. In the surrounding pagan nations, there were all kinds of ceremonies and festivals and, and, and different times during the year where they would have, have feasts, right, in the pagan nations. But here was this, this similar thing among all those nations, is that those festivals and sacrifices were there to somehow win the favor of, of the God that they worship, whatever the pagan God was, right? It was to receive the blessing of those gods on their crops or on their catch um, from the ocean. It was to bless the womb, both of their flocks and of, of their family, right? Um, but here's the difference. That is not what's going on in these passages, okay? These festivals are not to win God's favor in any way because it's God is the one who is inst- uh, instituting them. At this point in the story, God has already chosen Israel. He's already rescued Israel. He has always already promised a future to Israel. The festivals are established after Egypt, right? After Israel has been brought out. 
All the rules for them are from God. God is not giving these festivals to the people for them to try to earn favor or something. They are already his people. God's giving these to remind the people of himself and the things that he has done and the things that he has shown them in different ways that we're going to talk about as we go throughout the weeks. But there's that other word there, not just these appointed feasts, but this idea of a holy convocation. The Hebrew word is the Mikra Kodesh, which I just think sense has a good ring to it. Okay, the Mikra Kodesh or a sacred assembly. Times that the people of God are supposed to gather together to assemble for sacred, for holy purposes. All right. Now, again, we see this in, in, in what are called the pilgrimage festivals that we're going to see throughout the rest of the Bible, where the people from all over the nation of Israel would, would come to Jerusalem uh, and, and congregate. But what we notice here is that there's a weekly holy convocation, right? There's a time each week that the people of God are supposed to gather together, and that is this day that we see in this passage called the Sabbath. Now, why are they getting together? What are people congregating for? What is the purpose of us doing this in a group Engaging with each uh, each other as opposed to just uh, acknowledging these festivals on our own in our private lives, right? Well, God has ordained all of these festivals to a couple of things in general, to remind us of the things that have are in the past, to participate in things that are in the present, and to hope for things that will come in the future, particularly concerning the Messiah. All right. So so there is a multifaceted thing that is going on in each of the festivals, including the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath festival, is that we're remembering what God has done. We are living in what God is doing and we are hoping towards the future. So a language that we talk about when, when you kind of study on on the Sabbath and the festivals is we talk about it's a word we've talked about a lot before this this idea of types. OK, where um, we talk about a type of it is a type of something that is to come, okay? It's it's like a foreshadowing of things to come, but it's more than a foreshadowing. We might say that it is a foretaste of things to come. Not just a looking ahead, but a, a sampling in the here and now of things to come. Not just a symbol, but sort of like a sneak peek or something. And so I was reading one commentary and he, and he gives the perfect example of this. And that's it, in any... A holiday meal, right? You have experienced this. You have walked through the kitchen and, and your mom or your wife or, or your, whoever cooks the food in, in your family has, has made the roast or made the turkey. And what do you do is you walk by and it just smells so good and you just, you just take a little bit, right? Okay. And so you pull a piece of turkey off and you get a little piece of dressing and you fold it over into a piece of whatever and then you eat some, right? Um, why do you do that? It's not a symbol of the meal, right? It's a, it's a foretaste of the meal. You are sampling something that you are going to experience more fully and more completely in the near future, okay? That's kind of what's going on, or at least part of what's going on, when we talk about the biblical festivals and, and the Lord's weekly Sabbath, is, is we are getting a, a preview, a, a pre-taste of things to come. Another illustration that the Bible gives us is, is that of a shadow of things to come. 
All right, so in Colossians, Paul is talking about the festivals and the, and the Sabbath, and he says these are a shadow of things, but the substance of them is Christ. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes we probably think of the, the idea there of saying, well, a shadow is really nothing, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not really there, but I want you to think of a shadow in a little different kind of way. Um, if you think about it, a shadow is always correspondent to the thing that is casting it, Right? Does that make sense? So when you see my shadow behind me on the floor, that shadow is accurate because it is connected to me. It is cast because of of who I am, right? Okay. The the festivals work in a similar way, right? They're not like fake, ephemeral kind of uh, versions of something to come. No, they are true and in keeping with the things that come. Okay? Because they are the image of them. They're the shadow of them in some way. And so they're not, they're not uh, useless. They're real. Um, there's something really going on there, but incomplete, in, in imperfected. Um, you don't see all the detail in them yet, but they are a, a shadow of things to come. So when we think about the sha- Sabbath and the festivals as foretastes, um, and, and, and shadows. Again, that's particularly important today as we talk about the weekly festival of the Sabbath because it's unique among all the other festivals that we will see. The, the seven other festivals that we will look at in the book of Leviticus. Um, this is the only one that is weekly. This is the only one. All the others are annual festivals. This one happens every single week, the festival of the Sabbath. And what I would say to you is this, the Sabbath frames all the other festivals because of the central theme that Sabbath contains. And that theme is this, rest, all right? The central theme of the Sabbath, the overarching theme of the Sabbath is rest. And so in a sense, all of the other festivals are going to be playing back into the larger concept of rest and the full understanding of what that rest really means. Verse three, six days you shall work. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. And again, a holy convocation. So again, it's a neat, interesting little point there. Okay. There are many people who will try to say, Oh, you know what? The Sabbath means rest, and therefore I should do what I want to do on the Sabbath. But it's not just a Sabbath of rest. It is a Sabbath of rest and holy convocation, right? We gather together in the midst of the rest. But it does say you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Wherever you go, people who follow the Lord will celebrate this Sabbath. So again, solemn rest is the key thing. But what kind of rest do we mean? What do we mean when we're talking about rest? Because someone has jokingly said the Israelites worked really hard at resting. All right? Um, we see that because we've heard the stories. The Israelites made, oh, all these rules, right? Rule after rule to determine what was work and what was not work. Um, articulating, articulating different ways to make sure they didn't accidentally do work on the day of rest. But, but here's what I want to point to is that the, the rest is, is about much more than just ceasing from labor. All right. 
When we talk about a biblical concept of rest, we're looking at something much more than just not working. And we get a sense of that fuller picture as we look at the Sabbath as it progresses through the biblical story. All right. So as we as we watch the places in the Old Testament, scene by scene, as the Sabbath is emphasized, we get a bigger and bigger picture of what kind of rest we're actually talking about. All right. And and so certainly I'm probably not going to hit every single place where the Sabbath is ever mentioned, but I'm going to hit certain places that are big in the progression of the story. And so obviously, probably, if I ask you, well, where do you think we should start? If we're going to talk about the Sabbath, you would say, man, let's go to Genesis 2. Let's start at the beginning when the Sabbath is instituted. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we see this idea of, again, God's rest on the seventh day. Now, notice at this point, we know that the day is holy. We know that the day is set apart. We know that God rested on the seventh day, but it doesn't really elaborate on what we are supposed to do in, in, in recognition of the holiness of this day. Exactly. But we know that God rested on that day. But again, it makes us go, well, what does that mean for God to rest? God who is inexhaustible in energy. God who, how does God rest? Because again, we think it rest is the opposite of work, but that's not true. Rest is, is symbiotic with work. Rest is, is connected to work. Um, intrinsically. And it ties into this idea. Again, we're just throwing out big concept after big concept, but it ties into this idea that we see in the scriptures called Shalom. The idea that God, there's a sense of Shalom in his rest, meaning God is at peace with his creation, that everything is in its place. Everything is in right relationship to him. Everything, just like it tells us, what does it say? God created these things and it was, it was good. That's the kind of rest that God has. It is the kind of rest that doesn't, is not tired and needs to take a break for a day. It is the kind of rest that looks with delight over creation, recognizes its beauty, the peace and harmony that exists between it and God and revels in that, rejoices in that, takes joy in that. That is the rest that God has on the seventh day. As a very, you know, trivial illustration of that, I don't know about you guys, I like doing yard work, okay? I enjoy, I mean, I, I mean, I kind of like it, right? Like, I don't like it like it, but, but I enjoy a little bit of yard work. But I, really what I like about yard work is that you can get to the end of it and see a finished product. And you can see everything in its place and the grass is cut and the edges are, are uh, trimmed, you know, and, and the, the bed is, is weeded and everything is in its place. And you can stop for a minute and look at it and go, man, it's great. It's beautiful. It's completed. Everything is how it should be. All right. Now we know it doesn't stay that way for very long. And so, um, and, and in this biblical story, it doesn't stay that way for very long, but in this moment, God, has shalom with his creation. 
God rests from work and looks on a world that is in perfect harmony with him. All right? So he is its creator. He is its preserver. It exists by his will, according to his design. And nothing in its functioning is outside of his will at that moment. Everything is what God had designed. Now, Technically, at this point in the story, again, the day is holy. We know that, but but how we are to commemorate that is not quite in place. But we find out pretty quickly what we're supposed to do. And it comes before maybe the next place that we would guess to go, but it starts in Genesis chapter 16. And that is the story of the manna that comes from heaven. As the people of Israel have escaped from Egypt, they are in the wilderness. There's no food to feed the million plus or however many people are there. And then each morning they wake up and there is manna. So in Genesis chapter 16, verse 22, it says on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning and as Moses commanded them and it, and it did not stink and there were no worms in it, meaning it didn't spoil. And Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be no more. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remaining, Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. All right. So guess what? We see a new idea pop in in this passage. And again, we could talk about different aspects of this passage, but the thing that I think is most um, noted in it um, is the fact that God will provide for the day that we rest and don't work. So you you feel the draw, especially if you work for a company that is is a corporation or something like that. You feel this thing where people want you to work more and more. All right. They want you to work seven days a week. They want you to work all the hours that they can get you to work. They would have you working all the time. All Sunday is to much of the world is another day that you could be earning, that you could be creating wealth, that you could be doing something to bring in money or product or something for that company. But the problem is, is that God comes along and says, no, I want you to rest on that seventh day. There's something in our heart that says, God, I can't rest on the Sabbath. I have to keep working. I have to keep producing because all my needs are not going to get met if I don't keep on producing. My, I can't survive. My family can't survive unless I use every hour of every day to keep on producing, to get it all done. But this story demonstrates something, that God can be trusted to meet and provide for our needs. If he has called us to a day of rest, he will provide for us so that that day of rest doesn't become a hindrance to us. True Kathy, the, 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 the uh, founder of Chick-fil-A, 
right? So uh, there's a, there's an interesting kind of thing. Part of the reason why they're closed on Sunday, obviously because of his Christian convictions, but but there was a specific thing that that instigated that is he was coming out of a restaurant culture. He had worked in restaurants before he decided to start his own restaurant. And guess what? Restaurants are one of the main places that have a mentality of 24 seven work weeks, right? Because labor is cheap, especially when you're paying them uh, uh, waiters wages, which is, you know, even today, yeah, very little, it's not the minimum wage, right? Okay. You're getting paid less than, than um, the, the typical minimum wage or whatever. And so why not just, it doesn't hurt the company to be open 24-7. If there's no customers, you're not losing that much. And so he recognized this is an unhealthy, unsustainable way to live. And out of his Christian conviction for uh, about the Sabbath, he said, no, we're going to be closed on Sunday. It makes a good illustration because that's what the world is working us towards. More time, more work. The intention of greater process, uh, profits. Businesses are always saying we need to be growing. And if we're going to grow, that probably means you're going to have to do more in some ways. But God decrees rest. And more particularly in, in Genesis 16 or Exodus 16, God says, not only do I command a day of rest, but I will provide for it in the day of rest. We, we see this principle, uh, Go further, even than just the weekly rest. We find out about this thing in Leviticus chapter 25 called the sabbatical year. And so what happens is every seventh year, you were supposed to leave your fields fallow. Um, and yet even in the midst of those, God says, well, what are we going to do? If, if, if we don't plant and harvest, how are we going to be fed that year, God? And God says, I'll provide for you, right? I'll make the harvest the previous year bigger. I will make the natural things that grow um, just in the course of, of, of nature more plentiful. I'll provide for you, but give the ground that you live on a rest every seventh year. Interestingly, as far as we can tell from the scriptures, that's not something that the Jews ever did. The Israelites never did that thing. In fact, we even find places later on in the Bible when like the northern kingdom is conquered the Bible talks about this idea that finally, when the Assyrians came in and deported all the people and there was no one left to work the ground, finally the ground got its rest. And it built up its rest over years for all the centuries that it had not received its rest. Okay, So that's a concept that we see even played out in God's judgment over, over the nation of Israel. But God commands rest and then he provides for that rest. Okay, So that's the next idea about Sabbath. There's this idea of rest, but there's also this idea of provision that we see in it. Now, the next time that we see Sabbath prominently is probably the place that many of our minds would turn to, and that's in the first giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So the, the commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord, the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or, or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, the Lord, in, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay. So, so what do we see there? We see a couple of things. One, he's saying, remember, remember. And then where does he point? 
He points back to creation again. He points back to that Genesis 2 passage we just mentioned. Our remembrance is to remember that God, what he did in creation. Remember that once upon a time, creation was at peace with God. Remember what it meant for all of creation to be defined by their relationship to God and not living in rebellion to it. That's part of what the Sabbath is about. It's a moment for us to remember together God is creator. To focus on the goodness of God in creation. To focus on a world that God created and, and, and what it was like once upon a time when it was in the way it was intended to be. There's a poet that has made the comment, God is in his, in his heaven and all is right with the universe. So here's something interesting, and, and I want you to try to hold on to this for a second, okay? When we join together as a church to worship right now on Sundays, part of what we are doing is we are stepping back to Eden for a minute. And we are remembering what it was like to live in a world where everything was centered and in right relationship to God. Okay. I don't know if you've ever thought about what we do in this room that way, but that's part of what is going on in our worship is we come to a place for just a few minutes, right? For our cases, an hour and 20, an hour and 30 minutes a week, where every single thing we do in theory is focused on God, centered around God, with God at the heart of it. We sing songs about God. We pray prayers to God. We open God's word. We share in the fellowship of his people. We participate in the ceremonies that he has ordained. And hopefully the case is, is that everything we do, we find from the word of God. Right. Again, it, it may seem weird because I think probably sometimes we just come to church and we just go and it's just another kind of thing that we do. And I know that we are supposed to go out into the world and live every second of every day as if God is the center of it. And yet we know as soon as we step out of this place, a whole lot of things are not centered on God. The traffic lights are not centered on God. It doesn't seem like our, our workplaces and our bosses and, and, you know, the person that flips us off in traffic and the lady that gives us our call, all these things, they don't seem like they're focused on God. And yet for an hour and a half every week, we get to be in a place that goes, no, everything is supposed to be focused on God. It's all supposed to be in relation to him every single second of it, just like it was in creation, just like it was when things were good. The Sabbath is about that, okay? It is remembering back to that. We'll see that it's also looking forward to that too. The church is remembering Eden and it is practicing eternity, all right? You can write that down. That's, a, that's an Ash Bramble original, okay? We are remembering Eden and we are practicing eternity for an hour and 20 minutes every single Sunday. Okay, you probably thought, now nah, I'm just going in there because I'm supposed to. Okay, but that's not what we're doing. There is more significance to it than that. Now, again, you might say, Ash, that's a nice sentiment. Okay, and you know what? The preaching's fine, and, and the music is great, and uh, you know these people, I like them pretty well. Okay, but Eden, 
that's that seems to be maybe a little bit of an overstatement, right? Because here's the reality. We know that the best we can try to accomplish and achieve in this time will not live up to those things, right? No matter how hard we try to focus everything on God and to completely remember what a full orb relationship where everything is at shalom with him would be like. I mean, we are not going to be able to accomplish that. We still recognize that we're all sinful. We still recognize that we live in a world that is thoroughly disobedient. We recognize that we sold ourselves into slavery voluntarily. We broke the peace. We broke the shalom. And we are still living in the repercussions of that, even in Christ. And that's why it makes the next emphasis of the Sabbath something, another element to it. Because the next place that we meet the Sabbath in the scriptures is the second stating of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So you may or may not have remembered the fact that there is the stating first of, of, of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but then we get a restatement of them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But if you're paying close attention, something weird happens when we read the second list of the Ten Commandments. Starting in verse 12, observe the Sabbath to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and female servant may rest as well. So we pause right there and we say, yep, sounds right. Sounds like what we've talked about. And then something happens. Verse 15 says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So something happened. The reason that we celebrate the Sabbath changed between Exodus and Deuteronomy. Or I would say it didn't change, but it was added to. Because in Exodus, the reason behind the Sabbath is remembering creation. But now we see that there's something else we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to not just remember creation, but we're supposed to remember our redemption. Remember the fact that we have been saved from our sin and bought out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land of God. It's a, it's a kind of a fascinating piece and an interesting piece of theological trivia, all right, to say it's, it's kind of weird. The Ten Commandments changed on us in a way between these two books. The Sabbath day is an observance. We're supposed to keep it, remember it in a way. And it's pointing us to the salvation that God has brought us at the Passover, which is an event that gets its whole own festival day that we're going to talk about next week. But these themes start coming together, right? The peace of God, finding peace with God, comes through a redemption that God is, accomplishes for us, okay? Those are key themes of what we do on the Sabbath. When we come to remember, we're remembering creation and God's rule, but we're also remembering God's redemption of his people. And so what you can say is that the Sabbath is starting to tell us a story every week. We were at peace with God in Eden, but we broke that peace, we broke that shalom, but God in his provision will make a way to be redeemed. 
to be bought back. And yet, that redemption is waiting an even greater fulfillment, we know, as Christians. Hebrews 3 and 4, when you go to the book of Hebrews, it talks about the fact that the people of Israel didn't enter the rest of God. Okay, they had this Sabbath that they were supposed to observe each week, and yet they were unable to enter God's rest. And you're sort of like, well, why is that? Why is it that if they, if they just rested every week, then they should be entering God's rest? And yet the book of Hebrews shows us something, that there's a bigger issue in the Sabbath, a bigger picture going on. Because the Sabbath is about, or, 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 or entering into God's rest, is about turning from sin and heeding the call of the gospel. It's about entering into rest through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what you could say is our ultimate rest is initiated, it is inaugurated by entering into relationship with Jesus. You rest from the work of trying to save yourself. You've been doing that your whole life. You've been trying to save yourself. You've been trying to prove to yourself and to your family and to the world that you are good enough and that you are smart enough and that God, doggone it, people like you, right? And the gospel comes in and says, quit. Stop doing that. Turn to Jesus Christ for your salvation. Allow Christ to work out those things. Allow his work to accomplish those things. You rest in Jesus Christ. He has accomplished these things. He has completed the work. And so all of a sudden the Sabbath for it becomes part of that, right? We see a picture of redemption in the Passover, but that re- picture of redemption is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is layered again. But there's even more layering, right? Because that's not the end of the story either. Because in a similar way that the, the Sabbath kind of shifted in its focus from Exodus to Deuteronomy, it shifts in its focus again when we get to the New Testament because something incredible happens. Christians, after the resurrection of Jesus, begin to meet not on Saturday to observe the Sabbath, Sabbath but they begin to meet on Sunday. To observe the Sabbath. Now that's a crazy thing. Okay? You don't just change that in, in the world, right? That people will point to the fact that they'll say something incredible must have happened for Jews who for millennia have been having their holy convocations on Saturday to all of a sudden wake up one day and go, nothing we're going to do it on Sunday from now on. Why is that? What happened on Sunday morning that would shift the convocational energy from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown to Sunday morning? Well, we know what happened. The resurrection happened. God is not only our creator. He is not only our provider. He is not only our redeemer through his sacrifice, but he has achieved victory through resurrection. So it's been noted by by sort of theologians and stuff like that. It's interesting that the Jewish day starts at sundown. Okay, The Jewish day starts in the evening as the sun goes down. That is to say the Jews begin each day in darkness. 
They begin each day with the long watch of the night being what's directly ahead of them. That the daytime is a long way off, you could say. Christianity shifts the script, flips the script, right? Christian, for Christians, the day begins at sunup. We, we see the day as beginning at dawn, the moment when light bursts into the world. And we were reminded of that day 2,000 years ago when as the day began, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And so as we gather together on the Christian Sabbath, and again, there's, 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 we can talk about the parlance and we can talk about, no, this is the Lord's day and that's the Sabbath and we can, we can make all those things, but, but we acknowledge the fact that this serves the function of the Sabbath for the Christian people. That we meet on Sunday, but we still remember all the things that we've been remembering the whole time. We remember the glory of God in creation and being at peace with him and being in shalom. We remember the provision that he made for his people in terms of rest. We remember the sacrifice that he has made for our salvation. And we remember that that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we remember that God is victorious in all these things because he has been resurrected from the dead. The Passover lamb is slain for our redemption, and yet... He is alive. He is victorious. And he can never die again. Romans 6 has this beautiful passage. For if we have been united with him in death, a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? That's the promise of resurrection that we have. It's the promise that all I can say is that we are supposed to look to. And we know that because the Sabbath has shifted. And it is in commemoration of Jesus' resurrection. But we realize in all of this that the rest has only been inaugurated. It is not yet complete because the rest that we are looking to fulfilled, consummated, complete rest is still in the future. We still live in, 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 in a world of sin. We sin. We live around in a world that is affected by sin. We stumble ourselves and we live in a world of stumbling blocks. But the reality is, is we won't always. That is not the way eternity will play out. Again, Israel missed the point. They worked really hard at resting. We rest by ceasing from our striving for our own provision, our own redemption, our own autonomy. We rest by trusting, by surrendering, by kneeling before Jesus. And we know that one day we are going to do that forever. And so the reality is this, Sabbaths 
These holy convocations that we have each week are an already not yet kind of thing. We come into them each week tasting something that is true and something that is real. And yet knowing that, that, that we haven't seen the whole picture yet, that the whole picture is coming, right? Because each week, and it's cool that we do it each week. It's cool that the Sabbath is not a yearly thing. It is a weekly thing. Why? Well, I don't know about you, but like life hits you pretty hard every single week. We come into each, each week and, you know, you got flat tires and, and blowout diapers, marital arguments and sassy kids and demanding bosses and fickle friends and cavities and COVID and cancer and all of the junk of a broken, fallen world. But we join together on the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, to be reminded that that's not the story. All those things are not the story. The trials and tribulations of our lives are not the story. The story is how a God who is at shalom with his creation is going to provide a way for us to get back to that shalom. And it's going to be through the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we do every Sunday. And so if, if you're one of those people who comes to Sundays and says, you know what, man, I'm just too worn out from this week that I've had to go to church. You're misunderstanding it. Okay. Um, you're misunderstanding the point of it is that's the whole reason we're here to remember that all that stuff is not what it's about. That the Lord and his shalom is what it's about. And so we have this weekly Sabbath. And as we're going to talk about, those annual festivals are meant to remind us of the real story. Where it's been, where it is right now, and where that story is headed in the history of humanity. Amen? So that begins our, our study of these things, okay? And it sort of frames them because, again, I think the case is, is that all of these festivals, in a general sense, are, are umbrellaed under the concept of rest. They are umbrellaed under the concept of shalom. They are umbrellaed under the picture of us getting back to a perfected world in relationship with God. And they are all either remembering tasting, or hoping towards. So what I want to do is just go to the Lord in a time of prayer. Um, I hope that in, in the meandering of that uh, message um, is, is that um, it would give you a, a different heart and a different passion for the gathering of believers. Okay? If, if the gathering of believers is just something that you sort of say, Man, I'll, 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 I'll get to it when I have time or when I've got not, nothing else going on. What I'm asking is to say, recognize that, that we are doing something that certainly God has commanded us to. But man, the blessing that he has provided in it, the glory that we get to see of who God is and what he has done each and every week is something that why would you want to miss that? Now, again, if you show up and you say, no, I'm just going to come and I'm not going to I'm just going to sit and be, right? I'm not even, I'm, I'm not going to think in these terms. Then you'll probably so up, show up sometimes and sort of go, yeah, man, that I didn't get that from, from things. Okay. But yet if we come to a, 
to, the, to this time with a heart that knows how God designed it and what he intends for us to see in it, then maybe that changes our perspective on things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask that God would work these things in our lives. Yeah, that he would give us a, 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 a heart to see um, the goodness and the blessing that comes from the holy convocation that he has um, ordained in our lives. Father God, we confess um, that we have misused your Sabbath far too often. God, that we have that we have taken uh, aspects of it and separated them from the whole um, and used them for our own ends. God, that we have used the Sabbath as an excuse for things. That we have used it to get out of things. God, we acknowledge that our hearts are so often not in the right place when we come into your Sabbath. God, I confess that even this day, me preaching this message, there was a weariness in some ways. God, coming uh, to church and, and, and going about the, the, the business of, of the things of the day, um, God, even knowing the things that I have learned in your word this week, there is still... Um, there's still a, a, a sin and a, and a self-centeredness and a, and a uh, got a focus that is not on you and, and the things that you uh, show us uh, in your Sabbath. And so, God, we ask your forgiveness of those things. Uh, we acknowledge that that we have not remembered, observed, honored the Sabbath as we should have. But God, we ask that you would fill us with uh, the beauty. Uh, and the glory, the rejoicing that should come from this time. Um, God, that we would see that, that you have made this day, um, for us, for our good, for our benefit. God, that we would know you more truly and, and, and trust in you more fully. That this is a, a, a time each week for us to be reminded of our relationship with you and all the things that you have done and all the things that you are doing and all the things that you are yet to do. In the grand story of, of the entire universe and how it is playing out. God, help us to have that kind of heart and focus to recognize the, the blessing that you intend for us to have and to live in light of it each week. God, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We send us
So to give you kind of a, a preview and kind of a heads up, if, if you're not super familiar with, with the festivals that we see in Leviticus. Um, so in a, in a very general sense, there's, there's, a, there's a, a clump of festivals that are the spring festivals. And then there's a festival. Those are, those are the festivals of, of the Passover and of, of unleavened bread and of first fruits. And they all happen in, in three-day succession of each other. Um, amidst a longer week-long kind of time of celebration. Then you go weeks and weeks, seven weeks to be precise, and you hit the Feast of Weeks, which is, we have a different name. We call that Pentecost. And so there's a, a summer festival, and then you get to the fall, and there's another, a little more spread out series of festivals, uh, the Festival of Trumpets, which marks the Jewish New Year, the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, and then what's called the festival of tabernacles, um, which is, is the final festival of the fall section of the calendar. So the deal is, is that part of the reason why we're doing this series right now is because we are coming into the fall festival time. 
Okay. And so I just thought it would kind of be interesting to kind of talk about these things around the same time that we're talking about them. We're not actually going to end up hitting the festival that we're talking about on the weekend that that festival is actually occurring in the larger Jewish calendar or anything, but that's okay. Just to kind of give us a, a heads up on those things. But so the next, next week we'll talk about the festival of Passover, um, and then, and then move each week um, through the rest of the series. So I wanted to do this for a long time and, and, uh, uh, the, the Bible study that meets at the Weathington's house, they were working through Leviticus. And so I just sort of went, you know what? They're studying Leviticus. I'm just going to go ahead and jump into this thing that I wanted to, to, to teach on for a while and, and kind of work through. So, um, so hope you'll be here for them. Um, I think it'll be fun, um, and interesting and, and something that maybe many of us have not done a lot of study in. So, um, hope you have a great week. Um, we'll see you next Sunday. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. See you next week. Mm-hmm.